Our modern Western culture places little to no value on the power of our nightly dreams to inspire, shift, and reorganize our lives. This podcast demands a deep reconsideration of the role dreams play on our path to a more vital and meaningful life. The following is living proof of the life-affirming power of dreams to affect change and redirect the trajectory of our inner and outer lives. These are the dreams that shape us. I'm your host, J.M. DeBoard, and with me is my partner in the dream, Steve Ernenwein. In today's episode, we're going to explore our origin stories. Steve and I both got into working with dreams because we had extraordinary dreams that pointed the way for us. We were given an option. Do you want to take the blue pill and go back into the matrix? Or do you want to take the red pill and see how deep the rabbit hole goes? That quote from The Matrix is appropriate for what we're talking about here because dreams offer you the opportunity to find out that there is so much more to life, that there is an intelligent source behind your dreams that wants to help and co-create your life along with you. Dream workers are an unusual bunch. We are often people who have taken the left-hand path in life. We are people who felt a calling from inside of us to do something more than just the conventional life. For this podcast episode, Steve and I are going to share with you what got us into working with dreams, what led us down into that rabbit hole. Let's begin with Steve. Steve, I've known you for years. And I only know a little bit about what got you into working with your dreams. Share with us your origin story. Oh, man. It's like, it's been such a long, crazy journey. Like, I think uh, on the 14th of this month, so right now we're in October of 2020, I want to say my very first dream journal entry was on 1014 of 2005. So here I am, my 15th year doing this stuff, and wow, it's been just like such an incredible journey. And I don't know, thinking back on it, I, I I try to imagine how my life would have went if I hadn't had this dream that just broke me wide open to dreams. And I just can't even fathom it. I, it just seems like with everything that, dreams have offered me and given me and helped me to understand about myself and to see within myself and just like can't even just can't even process you know (laughs) how much differently my life could have been it just it's really wild so in 2005 in the fall of 2005 I was in my second year in college and I was having a particularly rough semester that year. I just, uh, uh, me and this girl that I had been dating over the summer had just broken up. And so I was kind of struggling with that and finding my way back through because I kind of lost myself a little bit in that relationship as I did in many of my relationships. (laughs) So how old were uh, you at that point? Yeah, I would have been... 
see, 2005. So I was just about to turn 20. And a lot of people yeah. come to dream work so during 19. the second half of their lives. This has been a tradition or a pattern, at least. Because people usually up to that point, they're more focused on their external lives and not as much interested in what's going on in their inner lives. Then during the second half of life, they want to answer the deeper questions about their existence and mortality and stuff like that. Then you yeah. have someone like you who sounds like you were driven to dream work by circumstance. So what happened with the girl and how did that lead you with working with your dreams? Um, well, I, I would say it's probably deeper than the girl. I, I, I mean, I moved around a lot when I was a kid. I feel like my life has been one, one continuous hero's journey, <laughs> constantly being plucked out of what I, where I find my comfort zone and thrown into a completely unknown situation. Like uh, before I was 12, I moved to five different states and my father worked for a military contracting company. And every time they would get bought out, uh, he would get moved to wherever the other company was from. And so, yeah, there was a, a lot of movement in my life for the first 12 years and uh, constantly being thrown in situations that I had no footing in. And so there's always been like a, a hefty intensity in that aspect of things, I guess. And so it constantly was feeling this kind of introspective life for me from, from the get go. And I feel like, uh, when, Oh, I guess when I went through high school, I, I went through a pretty rough, uh, depression because everything, all the moving and, um, everything that comes with moving of being the new kid and having to fight and scrap for, people's attention and <laughs> to find your, to find your friend group and to fit in. And it, I, I've recently discovered how much belonging is like such a, is such a piece to the puzzle that my whole life has been like such a interesting lesson in belonging. And I feel like the, the path that the dreams have opened up for me has been instrumental in me discovering the belonging that I have with myself, I guess. And so before anything and everyone else, that sense of belonging to yourself. And so, yeah, there, there's, so I mean, it, it's been a, it's been, I feel like I've been slow cooked for this life. <laughs> like it was like, just, giving me everything that it knew I would need to, to have this experience happen so young, like to, I feel like there, there's something big that I'm supposed to do in my life. So I feel like it had to happen young. And yeah. So, I mean, that semester for whatever reason, it was like, it was time. And I remember uh, the summer before, so like a couple months before this dream, I had been like looking up information on my horoscope or something silly like that. And I remember on the sidebar, there was a, there was a link to a thing on lucid dreaming. And I remember reading it and I remember it like it being so far out of like anything I'd ever heard about that it like made me scared. 
<laughs> it was like kind of one of those things where you you brush up against something that is like so far outside of the box of what you've ever thought of that it like makes you feel all like ungrounded and kind of like uh if you ever had that experience when uh you would kind of think about how big the universe is all of a sudden you feel that like intense small feeling come over you where you're like i am nothing um it was it was that kind of like uh it was that kind of fear where it was kind of like uh, unnerving and i kind of like brushed it off and was like i don't even understand what that means and didn't think about it and then like uh 2 months later i was at school i felt like crap and so i came home early and when i got home it was probably like 1 in the afternoon none of my roommates were home i had 3 roommates at the time and I took a nap and when I went to sleep, I had a false awakening in the dream where I woke up in my exact apartment. It was like to a T exact. And so I thought I was really awake. And so I, I get up out of the bed, I walk into the hallway and all of a sudden I realize that all my roommates are home and I'm starting to scratch my head going, this doesn't feel right. and. So I walk closer and all of a sudden they turn and they see me and they start going, Steve, come on, come here, party with us. And I realize that they're all sitting there smoking weed and drinking beers and they got girls over and all of them are just kind of like, come to me. And it just like feels so weird in the dream. Like there's just like all of these like warnings, like going off inside of me that is like, this is not right. This is not right. And so instead of going into the living room where they all were, I like just beelined it into the bathroom and I'm standing in the bathroom and it feels so real. And I'm going, what the fuck is wrong with me? How, how did I go to sleep? And all of a sudden everything is weird. And I'm like splashing water in my face, hoping that it would like help take away the feeling or something. And so finally, I go back out in the living room. There they are again. They do the same exact thing, still trying to call me to come party with them. And I just can't take it. There's just something inside of me that's just raging inside going, no, this is not right. And so I walk right out the front door. And when I open that door, it's a completely different world. And I'm like, what just happened? And I freak out and I, I think... I mean, the first thought in my mind is I died. I must have went to sleep and died. It sounds like you were living the Beetlejuice movie. You know, the couple <laughs> yeah. who dies and they're living in their house, but they're spirits and then they don't know that they're dead. And then they open the front door and outside is this whole other world. It's like this desert and the big bad skinworms. And Yes. Oh, my God. I've never even thought about it like that. That's hilarious. Huh. Oh, man. Our cat is named Beetlejuice, so, by the way. So that is a continuous theme <laughs> running through my household. And um, yeah, you see in the dream or you then realize that you're dreaming or did you? Uh, yeah, eventually I did. So I, I walked out there and I'm just continuing to walk around and I'm like getting scared of shit because I'm like, what is this? How how was this even possible? And I, I I literally was pretty scared that I was dead. And so I kept walking around and then all of a sudden I started running into people that I knew from high school. And I'm like, you shouldn't be here. And 
So then I kind of started kind of deviating from the I died idea and going, well, if I didn't die, then this has got to be a dream. And then once I like latched onto that idea, I was like, well, if I am dreaming, how do I wake, how do I wake myself up? I have no idea. And I, every, every time I tell people who want to get into lucid dreaming the story, I'm like, this is, this was the last time that I ever had this problem. <laughs> every other lucid dream I've ever had, I've always woken up way before I ever want to. And so this one was, I, I, I and the thing that's really funny to me every time I think back to the story is that um, in the dream, I decided I was going to try to call somebody to come wake me up. And in the dream, that seemed completely plausible. Like that was <laughs> a thing that I could do. And I woke up and was kind of shaking my head going, wow. Um, okay. <laughs> but yeah, I ended up just naturally waking up not too long after that. And, uh, sat up in my bed and I'm like, am I still dreaming? <laughs> yeah. At that point, you've got to do a reality check. Are you asleep and dreaming yeah. or are you awake? How do you tell the difference? Which of course you've learned those skills for lucid dreaming. It begins with being able to tell whether or not you are actually dreaming. You can wake up again yeah. and again, and you're actually waking up into a new layer of dreaming. Yeah. Yep, I definitely woke up. But yeah, that was a, it was kind of like one of those inception moments where you're like, is this another dream within a dream? <laughs> yeah, that was, that was pretty much as soon as I, as soon as I had that experience, I was like, holy shit, this, that was like so intense. And I mean, the dream was so vivid. It was like, I, it, I mean, if you, if you look into like the rhetoric and lucid dreaming communities, it's like, Everybody knows that there are like levels to how vivid things can be in a lucid dream. And sometimes you're like, you have, you're like almost confused and it's fuzzy and things are kind of hazy and you can't really focus on anything. And then, and then there's times where it's like, like I just described, or it was like so vivid, so real. You're so like intensely conscious. And do you think that experience was given to you to get you interested in? going deeper with lucid dreaming? I mean, was there something working through that or was it just random because you, like a suggestion, because you ran across something related to lucid dreaming? No, I, I would definitely say that there's something more going on. I, you know, in hindsight, when I really started uh, getting into more of the transformational aspects of dreaming um, and like really understanding the role of death in dreams and rebirth and that kind of thing. Uh, I, I was uh, looking back on that experience and I'm like, God, that was like such a death dream. That was like, it needed me to have that moment of like facing my mortality and making me think that I died and like having this experience that would, that would just like totally rock my world in a way that I couldn't shake or couldn't like write off afterwards. And I mean, my life before that dream and my life after that dream is such a contrast. And maybe, maybe not immediately, but in the grand scheme, if you look at the trajectory of my life before and after, it's like so night and day. And so, I mean, that was, that was in my eyes, that was such a symbolic death experience where I literally thought I died and 
when I came back out of it was changed. I was just absolutely changed. And I'd always had like really vivid dreams and I was always fascinated by them, but never gave them too much stock. And so at that point I was just like, Oh my God, like I can't shake this feeling. And when I, when I went back online and looked up what that experience was and found all the information on lucid dreaming and and understood it at a deeper level now, I was like, yes, dude, I need more of that. But then, then after, I think I looked it up there about 10 days in, I had a dream uh, that really sold me on it. And it wasn't a lucid dream, but it was a, it was a dream, the first dream where I met the anima. And it was such a profoundly intense dream that at that point I was, I was just completely sold. And I'm like, that was so intense. I, I need more of that in my life. I want more of that in my life. And I will <laughs> I will dedicate as much time as I need to to make this a, a very pivotal and crucial part of my life. And I have. I really- well, I think I know what our listeners are thinking. Same thing I'm thinking. We need to hear this. You had a dream that affected you that deeply. So let's hear about it. Yeah, so... Uh- this dream began with me being in a bar with a group of my high school buddies and we're all just hanging out and the bar has kind of like a, a super divey kind of dungy feel and we're all just kind of hanging out drinking and all of a sudden uh, a couple of people walk in and I look over and all right. So yeah, the dream be- began with me being in a bar with a group of my high school buddies and we're all just kind of hanging out drinking the bar had kind of a, it was kind of a divey, dingy kind of feel to it. Um, it almost felt like uh, some unsavory kind of characters would would be there often, uh, which didn't seem to bother me at the time, probably because I was more or less, I don't know if I would say I hung around that kind of scene, but where I was in my life, I wouldn't have... Uh, really bad at an eye at being, a, being in a bar like that. Um, so all of a sudden in walks a couple people and one of them is this just incredibly gorgeous uh, blonde woman about my age. And we like instantly locked eyes and we instantly kind of just like gravitated towards each other. And we were, we talked for a little bit and there was just such a deep and like profound connection between the two of us that was completely unspoken and just completely unparalleled to anything that I had ever experienced in my life up to that point. It was just like the most purest love that I could have imagined. And just like the, the, just the easiest, the easiest romantic experience that I've ever felt. It was just like instant And so beautiful and so like, um, I don't know, it just kind of like left, it just stopped me right in my tracks. And so then the the dream makes it seem like we've been there for a while. And then the the scene changes and I offer to drive her home and I, we get in the car and we drive her home and we pull into this place and it's an apartment building. And when I walk in the door with her, uh, instead of like a hallway through an apartment building, it was like a hallway through jail cells. And I'm like, you live here? And she's like, and she kind of like lowers her eyes and she kind of like looks off to the side and she's like, yeah. And 
we keep walking and we find her, her jail cell. And there's like all kinds of super awful energy all around us, like drug addicts, like on the ground, just like dying. And there was like, you could just feel that there was like the most unsavory of the unsavory that lived in this place. So she lives in South Central Skid Row. Yeah, exactly. Or even worse. It was like the worst thing I'd ever seen. And uh, so I, I, I leave her there and I, as I'm like saying goodbye to her, I'm like, this can't be like, you, you can't live here. This is, this is unacceptable to me. I, I'll come back and I'll, I'll take you far away from here is essentially like the, the speech that I gave her. And, uh, we, we kind of left it at that and the scene changed. And I think the dream actually showed me going back to get her. Um, and then it ended. So it was, it was as if like a bunch of time had, had lapsed and then I was coming back to get her. So what you're seeing in the dream is a snapshot or landscape of your psyche, of your deepest inner life. Yeah. For this beautiful woman that you have this deep soul connection with, anima, by the way, in Latin means yeah. soul. And so you have this deep connection with this person and you take her to her home and this is where she lives. So you make a decision in the dream that you're going to get her out of there and you voice it and you feel it at the time. Yeah. Here comes the hero. He's going to rescue his princess. And how did that reflect itself in your life? Because you're really seeing some beautiful part of yourself there, right? It, you make that commitment to her, it's really making a commitment to yourself. So it's not to say that everything changes overnight, but what changed for you? Yeah. So in many regards, I feel like I haven't, I haven't owned up to um, my promise until recently when the anima process really erupted in my life over the last couple of years. But I would say how that reflected how, where I was at that point though, was, um, I don't know. I, I was coming out of a depression and I feel like, I feel like it was very symbolic of how I had kind of locked up the most beautiful aspects of who I was. And out of like, out of like a need to feel like I had to protect those parts of myself, but at the same, at the same time, not being strong enough to like own them enough to bring them out either. Um, Cause I, I was like, I was really bullied throughout high school. And as I was trying to find my musical expression, that was constantly being shot down. I mean, being a white kid, being a hip hop artist, in a predominantly white school was like, especially at the time that it was it, white rappers weren't really looked at with any kind of, <laughs> with any kind of credibility at that point. Like at, at this point, it seems like white rappers are okay. Like they're not, as long as they got skills, I think most of the hip hop community is okay with it. Um, and as long as they show respect, obviously, to, to not tromp into uh, one of the most purely black created <laughs> forms of music. And like we've done with every other form of black music, 
just rub our feet all over the to Rick James it all over the, the couch. So you had some shadow work to do, and this is common in anima experiences. You'll get this taste of this beautiful creative thing inside of you and your deepest inner life. And it isn't just handed to you. Yeah. You then have to deal with all of the <laughs> shadowy crap that stands in the way that you've stuffed down into subconscious parts of your mind that came from these experiences you had of being bullied and having your creative expression stymied. So how did it lead from there to where you are today as dynamically creative family man, um, close, deep access to the most creative parts of yourself as a musician, as a person? Tell us how you got to that point. Um, so I guess uh, moving just forward from that dream, I'll just say this part real quick because I think it's pretty important. So for the next like six or seven months of uh, writing down my dreams and recording them and becoming very engaged with them, uh, I didn't have a very good grasp over what they meant at that point, but just uh, experiencing the intensity of them or the beauty of them, within like a six, seven month period, I decided I was going to quit smoking weed, which up up to that point, I was like a pretty heavy smoker. And in many ways, it was beginning to suffocate my life. And I was starting to realize that. Um, and I think being so in touch with these dreams, which would mean being so much more engaged and in touch with my own inner life and what it wanted, uh, I was starting to feel that pull away from that life, which was huge. It was like such a turning point for me in so many ways, because I know a lot of people that can still be functional smoking weed every day, but uh, apparently I, I don't have that same capacity. Um, and I enjoy it, but it, it does make me super lazy. It just makes me just kind of, uh, sit back in life and that's good some days, but for the most part, it was pretty, uh, unproductive for me. And so anyways, one of the big moments that happened that made me realize on, in addition to that, that I needed to stop was I, I got jumped one day and I called my father to tell him that I was okay. Um, and to just give him a, an idea of what happened. And, um, I'm talking with him and all of a sudden I say, oh, wait a minute, isn't it your birthday today? And he just goes just ghostly silent on the phone for a few seconds. And then he kind of lets out a sigh and he's like, that was yesterday, Steve. And I, my whole world just like crumbled to pieces and I'm like, oh my God. And so then my mother's birthday was like a month later and I, I had to set like five alarms on my phone to, to re remind myself to call her. And I'm like, this is ridiculous. This is completely absurd. And I almost, I almost still forgot. And so, yeah, then I was gearing up to leave the state. I was living in New York at the time and uh, I was about to move down to Tennessee and I'm like, we're about to have a clean slate. Nobody's going to be expecting you to be any which way you're going to just show up down there, how you want to show up. 
And that's going to be an amazing opportunity for you to quit smoking, show up down there and, you know, act like that's not a part of your life. And I did. And I, I haven't been a habitual marijuana smoker since then. Um, and it looks like it was previewed in the first dream when your roommates are calling you to come party and you decide you're going to walk out the door instead. Wow. I never, wow. I never really made that connection. I have other theories about what that element is, but I never actually thought about that part. Wow. That's it's really cool. One way of interpreting it because look at what they're doing. You know, they're sitting around partying. And I'm sure if you were a heavy smoker at the time that you also chose your roommates based on your, you know, what you had in common, habits you had in common. So, mm -hmm. yeah, that's what I'm picturing. Crack open some beers, pass around the bong. And then um, <laughs> a night of PlayStation, feeling sorry for ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. God, that was pretty much the whole life. <laughs> so <laughs> you were pulled out of that and your dreamscape, you were given an alternative. And it was still up to you to decide. And was there enough of a pull or attraction to this alternate vision of what you could see for your life, of where you could go? It was a huge decision, you know, when giving up smoking daily, it's you're giving up an addiction. Yeah. Yeah. And actually, I mean, wow, now that you say it like that, like, uh, you know, every, every initiation, you have to give something up. You have to sacrifice something. And so that's like, that's very interesting. And to have like such a hard death experience surrounding that whole dream and that whole time in my life. Uh, yeah, that feels like th that was uh, my gift of the gods. That was uh, saying I, I surrender my my desires to be a certain way and I'm, I'm willing to follow you and to see what this, this new path is offering me. It, it's interesting because, uh, so the, the way that I have thought about that element of that dream, um, has been because quite a few other powerful lucid dreams that I've had ha have all had this element in it. Um, where there's this, this kind of inborn test that, you have to pass to be given whatever, whatever the experience is that the dream is trying to offer you. And so here the test is, are you going to listen to this complete siren that's going off inside of your soul right now? Or are you going to be uh, allured by the sirens over there with the, <laughs> with the marijuana smoke and the girls? Um, you know, what, which, which way are you going to go? Because if I would have just went and joined them, I probably would have fell right into the dream. Wouldn't have thought a second more about it. Would have woke up and would never have had the experience of walking through that, that door into a whole nother world and have to question everything after it. You were given a choice. And if you would have sat back down at that table, then your choice is made. It's, it's like Cypher in the matrix. He's, he decides he's going to go back in to the matrix. He's going to forget about yeah, all this other right. stuff like high ideals and 
living for the right cause and fighting against oppression and being a hero. And nah, man, just hook me back up, pass me that bong, let me go back into the matrix. And if you would have done that, if you would have, you know, sat back down at the table and said, hey, you know, pass me the bong, let's have a party. You would have gone back into ordinary dreaming and yeah, your choice is made. You you wouldn't have walked out the door and discovered that there was this whole other world accessible to you. That's chilling, man. That's an origin story, brother. I, I love it. You know, when you work with enough people like us who are deeply interested in dreams and have taken it up as our calling, you often hear these origin stories that begin with, some kind of calling or spiritual awakening. They have an experience like Robert Moss, who was visited in a dream by this uh, wise native woman who gave him his calling. She said, you can go out into the world and teach people these shamanic ways of working with the dream. And for decades now, that's what he's been doing. And he's been very successful at it. And, you know, it was presented to him in such a way that it's hard to say that you wouldn't do it. I mean, the choice seems kind of obvious. Yes, of course. Hey, where do I sign up? But for you and your origin story, I mean, you had this call that was the siren's call that was taking you in the other direction. And you could have very easily decided, nah, ma'am, this isn't for me. But it seems like that there was a calling in the sense that there was this sort of like an intervention that said, Steve, your life is waiting for you. So make a choice. Do things stay the way they are? Do you take the blue pill and go back to reality as you know it? Or do you take the red pill and find out how deep the rabbit hole really goes? Brother, you have one of the most powerful origin stories I've ever heard. Well, thank you. Appreciate that. Yeah, it felt like a real calling for sure, because, I mean, like I said, like lucid dreaming actually terrified me the first time I heard about it. And so it was not even on my radar. None, none of it was on my radar. And it just it just blasted this whole other experience wide open inside of me. I just can't even, I mean, that led me to like a big spiritual awakening a few years later when based on dreams I had and just the way that they were continuing to open me and reveal more of who I am to myself and just the path that it unfolded was just so wild and it just continues. I mean, Holy cow, it's, well, man, we're, we'll have to have way more of these conversations because there's so much to talk about there, but. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, the, the, the dream of the girl, that definitely, uh, that cemented it. And that was uh, after the, those two dreams, I was just completely hooked for life. And I just, uh, you know, I don't know why I just feel like I need to say this real quick. Uh, there, there's so many people in the dreaming community that kind of stick their nose up to lucid dreamers, um, primarily because they feel like they come in just to just to be a lucid dreamer, just to 
exert control over uh, the lucid dream and uh, that they don't care anything for their regular dreams, which I think is probably true for the first part. Um, but if you, I feel like if you, if you go deep enough into lucid dreaming that, uh, the, the dreams force you to, to acknowledge your regular dreams and they, they force you to do the deeper work instead of constantly trying to manipulate them. They, they definitely, uh, at least in my experience, maybe, maybe because I have something greater to do with these that they, they take such, such care in and making sure that I'm utilizing that space properly and respectfully. And, um, like even right now I haven't, I maybe only had like two or three lucid dreams this whole year. There's like other work that they want me to do. And that's, that's good enough for me. I'm not trying to, <laughs> I'm not trying to cast them away in any, any way. I don't know what I'm talking about anymore, but you want to, you want to pick up where uh, where things got real juicy for you? Yeah, I usually begin this story back when I was a college student and I was looking for something in my life. I was looking for more out of my life. I was looking for healing and felt like there was something from the past catching up with me. And I end up in the office of a counselor, Larry Pesavento. After having seen chapters of a book that he wrote called Toward Manhood, and there were chapters of his book being passed around, uh, and with a, among a, a friend of mine had a copy of it, and I read what he had to say, and he made all these mentions to this guy named Carl Jung, and he's saying these things that are speaking to my heart in a way that says, I want some of this. I need some of this. And next thing I know, there I am in his office. I'm talking about dreams and Carl Jung. And he turned me on to dreams as a way of finding healing and direction in my life. And But the story that I don't usually tell about my origins and dream work is because it's it's darker and it's deeper. It begins when I was about eight or nine years old and I had a nightmare. I was being chased around the neighborhood, my neighborhood at the time, that I would later equate with the Dark Lord from Star Wars had that same kind of, um, that same look to him, that same malevolent energy. And, you know, he chases me around my neighborhood and I end up hiding from him in a store behind a pinball machine. You know, a lot of good that's going to do for me. But, but, you know, kids, they have nightmares and it's normal. But that nightmare, that it stuck with me. And then a few years later, now we're in seventh grade, so about four years later, and there I am in this class. I uh, had this teacher, his name was Mr. Whitmore, Daryl Whitmore, and he was an extraordinary teacher. And we were in an enrichment class where we had a lot of 
public speakers, uh, people who came in from the public to talk to us. And one day he brought a, brought in a dream interpreter, a Jungian dream interpreter who had learned and taught these methods of regression into a dream. You might call it like um, active imagination along with uh, uh, regression, hypno hypnotic regression. And he asked the class, does anybody have a dream that they would like to share and explore this way? And, you know, there I am. And uh, I know that I've had this nightmare years ago and the thing has stuck with me. And there goes my hand, shoots up in the air. Yes, I have a dream that I'd like to share and find out what it really means. So we were in the class and we pushed together all the desks that kind of creates a platform. And he has me like lay across them, comfortable blanket on me, has my classmates surround me in a circle and put their hands on me keep me grounded in this reality so that I could go off into this hypnotic regression. So he takes me into the, into the regression, getting deeper into a, a hypnotic state. And he asked me to trace the conflict of the dream. And I see this family feud. I see these two sides two families that are faced off against each other. They are like the Hatfields and McCoys. They're having a blood feud and they hate each other. And so I say to the therapist, well, this is where the conflict comes from. This is the source of it. This is where the man came from. So the, the therapist asked me, see if you can find a resolution for this conflict. And there I am, you know, my little 12-year-old mind trying to think of a solution. And the best I can think of is fighting is bad. Can't we all just get along? And there was a simple sort of childish logic to it. But when you take it to two sides that are in a blood feud and say, hey, can't you just get along? Well, yeah, that didn't work out real well. And... The two sides kind of listened to me for a minute and then they were like, shut up, kid. And then they go back to their feud and things start getting dark and dangerous. So the therapist pulls me out of the dream. So, you know, I kind of life goes on. I kind of forgot about all of that. And I didn't really have much of more exposure to dreams or dream interpretation or anything like that. I might have run across references to it in high school psychology classes or whatever, but I tried to just forget about all of it. And years go by. I end up in the offices with Larry, the counselor who taught me dream work. And after years of dealing with all the crap from my past and the wounding and doing these really this really deep therapeutic work and creating a space inside of myself where I could go down deep inside of myself and I could handle the pressure of those deep waters and the training that I did the the healing that I did was like the pressure suit so that I could go down into myself and 
find some things inside of myself that I would have never known were there, but they were, they were influencing me from behind the scenes, from subconsciously. And then that character from my nightmare, the, like the dark Sidious character from my dreams, he shows up again. I mean, the guy even looked like the Dark Lord. His face was all craggy and looked like he had been burnt and, and you know, had that presence that, that, that I am the Dark Lord and all shall bow before me kind of vibe to him. This guy just radiated power and, and badness. And I had another dream a few years into my therapeutic work where that guy showed up again. He, he actually sent his minions to come kidnap me off the street. And I look at him and I say, no, just you tell me where he is and I'll go to him. I'm ready for a fight. And I show up at this massive office tower, glass and steel. And at the top floor, I find him in the center of the room in a glass, in a glass coffin. And I walk up to that coffin. And again, it's like the Star Wars myth. That's like Luke in that first battle with Darth Vader. You know, he gets overtaken by his anger. And when I saw the bad guy in that coffin and thought about all the damage that had been done in my life and the ways that it had warped me and filled me with all this dark energy that made me enraged and I reached into that coffin and wrapped my hands around his neck and squeezed the life out of him and he looks at me and he laughs yeah and I hear it in my mind he says good feed on your anger so the dream becomes unstable at that point and my kind of fall out of the dream. And after that, it, it took some time, but I lost my mojo. The, the thing that had compelled me into therapy and to, 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 to heal, I couldn't sustain it anymore. And I fell back into my old ways, you know, old addictions and spent 10 years looking for my spirit again in the bottom of a bottle and a spiral. And one morning I, um, I woke up after having found my girlfriend's uh, whiskey bottle. And uh, the last thing I remembered was chugging down my third or fourth glass of it. And then I woke up in the morning and um, my toe was broken. I looked down and my foot's throbbing. I, it's toes all black and blue and She's furious at me. And um, later that day, we had a talk and, you know, the relationship was over. But she said, you've got something deeper going on and you need help with it. She was a deeply intuitive and spiritual person. And she sensed that there was something more than just addiction going on. And she said... I know someone who can help you. He's a shamanic practitioner and she could give me a referral to him. Uh, 
not the kind of person who you will just kind of find randomly in the yellow pages. You needed to be referred to him. And she, um, she knew him because when her husband had died a few years before then, um, in a tragic accident, his spirit hung around wanting to say goodbye before he left. And she, um, she, she went to the, the shaman so that she could have him act as an intermediary, a medium. And so she gives me the referral. I call the guy up. We make the appointment. I, I show up at his house. I, you know, I, I at his office and I tell him about the, the dreams and all this history. And, you know, I tell him you know, nine years old, I have this, this powerful nightmare. It sticks with me. And then at 12 or 13 years old, I have this chance to do this regression session where I find the family feud conflict that's behind the dream. And then I'm, you know, uh, gave him all that history that I just gave you. And he tells me that the character in my dreams who'd been with me showing up off and on all those years was this dark energy uh, a force, a person that had latched onto me and was uh, pumping poison into my system, into my energy system, and that we needed to we needed to remove it. So that day he we start. He puts on his shamanic drums and pulls out his shamanic uh, implements. He, uh, and you got to picture this, you know, this guy by day is a, he's a counselor. I wasn't down on like the Amazon or anything. I'm in this guy's office and he's, he's a counselor. He's uh, got a master's degrees from Long Island. He's, he's got this irreverent sense of humor and likes to, you know, he cracks a lot of jokes and stuff like that. But, you know, he puts on his, his uh, shaman hat and shit gets serious. So first he works with my energy body and he says that he sees that there is this black like a blade between my shoulder blades and my heart and my heart chakra and he pulls it out of my body and i feel it man and he said that the the man in my dreams the the bad guy the dark lord had attached himself through that dark thing in my energy. And that's how he kept contact with me. And that's how he zapped me with this black, dark energy. And so then it's the two of us, uh, the shaman and I, against this dark energy. And the way I understood it later, after I had a chance to reflect on this, is the man was had been a person, a human and he was um, like a sorcerer. He was a, he used black magic and he was bound to that energy um, so that after he died, he wasn't able to go into the light. And he continued in this other space between life and death where he kept plying his trade, you know, uh, doing black magic. So, you know, where there I am in the office and time is going by. The uh the shaman is continue working, you know, working his mojo on me. 
And by the way, the shaman said something during all this. He said, he said, the sh- he said, the tornadoes are not there for you. These were recurring dreams that I had of these tornadoes coming for me. And I would run from them because I thought they were after me. But he says, no, they're not after you. They're there for him. They want him. And he says, look up into the funnel. And I'm, I'm seeing at this point, I'm seeing the tornado around me metaphysically as if I'm in a lucid dream in a way. And I look up there and I see the eye of providence. I mean, it's, it, it was, it was so real. And I look up and I see the eye and the shaman says, send the man into the light. And that's when I had my moment. I'd been prepared by, by Larry, by that counselor who taught me dream work. He taught me the Star Wars myth and had prepared me for years. He said that a time will come when you will have a choice between forgiveness or holding on to your anger. And I felt this, tele- I'm remembering all this, and I feel this telepathic like connection directly with the bad man. And he, he wanted me to hold on to the anger. He was pushing me. He wanted me to be enraged. And I just think to myself, man, this has got to stop. I don't want to feel this way. This cycle, I don't want to feel this way anymore. These two families going up against each other in this blood feud and this cycle of vindictiveness. And I said, no, no, ma'am, it's got to stop now. I forgive you and go into the light. And I say this in my mind and the shaman right at that moment claps his hands and it's, I feel this power around me and I can see around me this pyramid of light, metaphysical light forms around me, the peak above my head. And I see it around my body and it's, it's just this pure energy and I pull that energy up from below me. I focus it through like my third eye, the the top of my head and shot that energy up towards the heavens and said, I forgive you, go into the light. And I could see it and feel it like this light shoots up. And then I, you know, the energy starts lowering again and I start kind of coming down and I realize I, um, it's, it's over. I sent that guy off into the light. And within about a year, I started my life as a dream worker. I don't tell many people that story. It's, it's kind of, it's too hard to believe. It's hard for me to believe sometimes, but damn. uh, But now I've met other people who've had similar experiences. They, you know, it takes place metaphysically, but man, it's, it's real. But if you haven't experienced it, then You know, if you don't walk out the door to find out that there's this whole other world out there, then you don't even know that it's real. You just go on living in the box, living in the matrix. So, yeah, 
that's how I got into dream work. That's what led me to it. I, I know what happened. I, I know what led up to it and what happened in that room that day. And I know what's happened since. And, you know, but for the grace of God, go I. There was something much larger working through me than I could ever imagine. This was something, man. It took 30 years from the first dream, that, that first nightmare, for, and then to the end, to that day in that shaman's office until it all played out. Wow. It's amazing. Holy shit, bro. That's... Yeah, I think the only thing I, I the only the only uh, part of that story I think I've ever heard was uh, you meeting the the professor. I, I can't remember how you described him, the counselor. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's the only part of the story I've heard. I, I know I knew about the drinking, but I, I I yeah I didn't know about any of that. That's, whew. and you know it's. It's because it's our, it's our origin stories as dream workers. And, you know, usually I tell the other story because, you know, I've, I've written books and media interviews and stuff. And, you know, when you've got a PG audience, yeah, I, I, I want to connect them with this other reason why I became a dream worker is because I, I learned that what dreams could do for us, for helping us to make our dreams come true that you, that you really can live your dreams and you can tap into this thing in your dreams. It's like Carl Jung says, it's the mind of nature itself. That's there for you. Like this, like this life coach that comes and visits you in your sleep. So, you know, that's the story that I tell about walking into Larry's office and getting into Carl Jung and just sucking down all that great knowledge and information and then Jung's contemporaries and how my dream life just exploded. It was became so interesting. And for years after getting introduced to dream work, I could wake up in the morning and and remember all these dreams and have so much to 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 ponder and to to analyze, to work with. And, you know, after all these years of being a dream worker and all the books I've written and the work I've done at Reddit as Rat Owl and all that, it all began really in that office with Larry. And something decided that there was something else for me. And thank God, man. Hi. So, yeah, there's uh, two versions of my origin story. Yeah, it's really, it's really interesting. I, I, I guess I, I never really, I guess I don't know as much about you as I thought going into this conversation. <laughs> so like, I don't know, would you say that you resonate with like the wounded healer oh, archetype? Yeah, that's me. Yep. Yeah. See, like th this gives me a whole nother dynamic to you. Cause I mean, I, I identify with that archetype really strongly and feel like, a lot of the turmoil I've been in, in that, well, a lot of the turmoil that I've experienced in my life and just this, I guess, to segue into something I wanted to ask you about that initial nightmare. So it's like two families in a blood feud. 
do you think that is in any way like uh, an ancestral wound? Wow, man. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> very perceptive. Um, that's the part of the story that I didn't tell. Now, um, let's go back. Um, remember, I'm when I was 13 and I was in that regression session and the therapist asked me to find the source of the conflict. I saw these two families faced off against each other in a blood feud. And well, some years go by and I ran across some weird information that I, I didn't know at the time about my family that there was some really tragic stuff that happened um, going back many generations. You know, I didn't know much about my family beyond my grandfather DeBoard. He was a he was a clean separation from whatever had happened in the past. He was, uh, you know, was a family man, a good Catholic, raised six kids and uh, established in the community and all that. But before him, you know, there was just tragedy written all over my family on both sides. I also, my mom's side of the family, I didn't know much about them. And then I found out that they also had these just terrible tragedies and um, generations of it. And well, I already had some clues walking into the session with the shaman that there had been some crazy shit that happened in my family, but this is what he told me in the session. He said that many generations ago, there was a, a woman in my family um, who um, had stolen the husband of a woman from another family. So in the in the in the dream, there are these two or the the regression session. I see the source of the conflict of the dream is between these two families. Well, the one woman from my family had stolen a husband from a woman in a rival family, and that woman had hired a um, practitioner of black magic to cast a generational curse on my family that the women in my family would be cursed to marry tragic men. Wow. And as far as I know... Uh, what I've been able to trace about my family, this has come true. I can pick it up with my uh, my great grandmother on my maternal line. She had uh, had a very hard life, and you know, uh, married a, some tragic men. And then my my grandmother, my grandmother married five different men, and they all died. And they, she outlived them all. And maybe it's just, they were all tragic. <laughs> and then it carries down to my mom who wow. married my dad. And well, I love you, dad, but he's, he's a tragic figure. And uh, then she got remarried and found what she, what she really needed. But you can see hmm down through the generations on the maternal line, you can just see this, this path of destruction and tragedy, this, this pattern that was repeated over and over again. They would marry tragic men and they did. And the, the shaman said that this all connects with me um, down my maternal line. He said that um, I was born into this life to end that 
uh, to end it or to try to end it. Oof. That's intense. Congratulations, bro. <laughs> Congratulations. Oh, that's... See, I, I feel similarly. I, I guess that's where I was going with it, is that I feel like, you know, my my life has had a great deal of of pain and struggle. Um, but I also feel like I have been called into this life to help end something very similar to what you, I don't know the particulars around it, but I, I know based on the shadow work that I've been asked of and what I can see in my father and his father. And um, I guess that that's pretty much as far back as I can personally see it's just, uh, it seems like there's some, some great wound within my family that the, the, my ancestors are just praying someone would pick up the torch and go, yeah, this, this shit ends now. And so, yeah, the, the wounded healer really speaks deeply to me and in my music, it's always my aim is to be of a healing presence or of a healing nature and, to go into the deep, the deep, uh, unwanted areas to speak to them and to open up that dialogue with them. And so, yeah, it's, it's definitely a very big part of who I am and how I, how I feel called to show up in the world. So that's really awesome. I got you. Here we are, brother, starting a pack podcast together and we got to Two wounded healers trying to speak the speak the good word out here. Yeah, that similarity in our backgrounds that we didn't know about each other. Although I have run across other people who've had this, um, you know, generational thing going on where there's dark energy being passed down, and they uh, they come to a point of awareness that there is this thing that needs to be healed that needs to be fixed and they start putting the pieces together oftentimes taking years to do and requiring them to go into wounding experiences themselves sometimes that uh, almost or do destroy them and and it pulls everything together it gives them the mission Tells them what they need to know. Can I can I share something with you? Um, real quick, uh, when you said, I mean, wow, dude, the image of that blade in your heart that he pulls out was like so intense for me to like imagine in my head. Um, I had a dream not too long after I had like a big spiritual awakening, and it was a uh, it was this amazing contrast dream where. Um, the dream began with me with this headset on. I don't know if you ever heard of like the, the lucid dreaming mask that you could buy. I was using one of those for, for a short time. And the idea is that it has like uh, red led lights that flash when it, when the mask can detect that you're in REM sleep. And the idea is that hopefully the external stimulus will trigger something in, in your dream that makes you go, Oh, that's right. I'm dreaming. Um, and so 
the dream is me having the mask on. And for some reason, I can just see forever down this dark mask and echoing down that super long corridor, which is the mask, um, is just the most beautiful classic music I've ever heard. And it's just like, it just envelops you and it just, uh, it just made me feel so like taken care of and loved and it felt so divine. And then the next scene, I take the mask off and I'm in like just the most awful underworld that I could ever imagine. And uh, in front of me is like this circle. It's kind of like a, what did I name the dream? the the lucid land of torture or something like that because <laughs> because i became lucid the, the music and everything was so beautiful that it actually made me lucid like it, it just like heightened um the intensity of the dream in such a way that it naturally made me realize i was dreaming and so when i took the mask off it was just like oh what just happened no no bring me back to that nice place and so just inside the gates to this lucid land of torture um, there's this man, he's this big muscular man and he's standing there and he's just screaming in agony, just like the worst scream I have ever heard in my life. And I look at him and I almost can't even look at it. It's so intense. Like I, I keep dodging my eyes because it's, it's so intense in the dream that it, it's, it's like incredibly hard to look at. And there's just like an energy to it that like my eyes keep di diverting away from because it's too intense. And, but every time I look back real quick, I, I can see more of what's happening over there. And so this poor guy, he's this built guy, he's half naked, maybe he is naked. I don't know. Um, but he doesn't have a shirt on and he's got this sapling so it's not, you don't want to think about it as like a, a mature tree, but it's at least, big enough to impale him through. So it's like rooted in the ground behind him and it's impaling him through the back and the tree branches are spouting out the front of him. And I would say it's coming out of his body right around the solar plexus. And if that wasn't already gruesome enough to look at, he's completely on fire the tree's on fire. He's on fire. Oh my God. <laughs> and so <laughs> this poor guy is not only impaled, there's this living tree growing through the middle of his body. Um, and he's just completely engulfed in flames. And it's just like the most incredibly awful dream that I can imagine. And right before I'm about to wake up, I lift my hand to the sky and just ask for rain. And it, rains on him and puts the fire out at least. And then I wake up. Wow. And Man. <laughs> wow. And you're lucid. You realize you're dreaming. Yeah. So it was even more intense. And most time people think when you're lucid in a dream, they think that you can control the dream. And that is one aspect of lucid dream that you can create these experiences like being in a movie, you can fly, go to the bottom of the ocean, visit the moon, make love, you know, create beautiful music, have powerful experiences, wonderful experiences, but you're lucid in a dream and you're still allowing the dream to 
to to continue and on its own without you influencing it and you're like wearing this mask and am i picturing this correctly is this are you in like lucid hell um well i took the mask off yeah yeah and it's it's like uh the dreams creating this stark uh contrast so because I was the way I look at it is because I was in such like a honeymoon state of having my initial like big spiritual awakening moment. And I thought I just conquered all of my fears and I conquered all of my wounds and I'm in such a happy place now. And it was like, the dream is like, bro, there's a lot of shit that you still got to deal with. Um, Yeah. So is that an image of something deep inside of you? My shadow journey really picked up on the winter solstice of 2012. So the day the whole world was supposed to end. Um, yeah, it was, it was so poignantly picked. Uh, so the three, the three years leading up to that date, I had so many dreams that were like, in my mind, they were previews to what that date was going to be. And like, everybody was in such like a, just a craze about that date that it was like the dream knew that if it gave me just enough, it could wind me up so much that when that date came and went, it would just like, it would just thrust me into all the ugly inside of me that I wasn't willing to look at. And so it built me up so much. Like one of the dreams was me and Erica, we look outside and all of a sudden it, there's like, these like weird rainbow colored frequencies in the sky. And we're like, Whoa, dude, it's gotta be happening right now. And we run outside and we like drop on the ground and we put ourselves in some kind of like meditative like position with each other. And we're like holding on to each other and the energy just swells. And it feels like the two of us are fusing together and are about to ascend off the planet. And just before we're about to completely merge together and just rocket ship into the most incredible bliss that I can imagine, um, this guy who's just completely out of control and just his energy is so like yuck and just makes you cringe, um, comes in. He's like, no, no, wait, guys, wait, no, no, no. And he, he like totally gets us out of the zone and it, the whole feeling in the dream dissipates. And I remember looking at him and go, you didn't do anything good for anyone here. And I like was so disgusted with him and I woke up. And so I had like all these dreams that were like, that would give me these, these snapshots of what in my wildest dreams, I hoped this ascension that everybody was all like in a, in a craze about. And I only looked at that part of the dream. I didn't look at the fact that the shadow character showed up to make me go, Whoa, stop guy. Like, you may be getting a little ahead of yourself here. We got a lot of work to do. And so it just built me up and built me up. And there were dreams that had 1221, 1221, just like just constantly. And then dreams that leading up to that date were like, the shift's about to happen. The shift's about to happen. And just like worked me up so much. And they shit you not seven days before the winter solstice that year, me and Erica were going out to do some Christmas shopping and it's just been snowing all day. And we get out to our car and right in a car sitting right next to ours, there's a dove sitting on the back of it. It was like a turtle dove. 
it was just the most perfect dove I, I had ever seen. And I'm like, why are you here? I've never seen one of you in, in real life ever. And you're sitting right next to my car. In this and so we leave to go shopping. Of Minnesota. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Exactly. So we leave. We come back like three hours later. It's still sitting there. And I'm like, what is this? This is like such a divine messenger. Like, oh, my God. Is something really afoot? Yeah. Yeah, doves in particular, messengers of spirit, a totem animal. Yeah, and so it's a classic symbol. The the winter solstice comes and I I wake up and at that point I'm like, all right, I'm not going to work myself up too much here. You know, the year of 2012 was super sobering. It was like I, I felt like nothing too extreme was going to happen, but I wanted at least like something perceptible. I wanted to like feel something because, you know, I've been led to believe that something that, that some kind of shift was happening. So going into that day, I'm like, just something perceptible. Just give me some, some feeling that like something is changing. And I woke up and I felt, I didn't even feel like borderline. I felt less than, I felt like there wasn't any magic. <laughs> and I'm like, what the shit? And I got so mad and so disappointed. And it, it was almost like I, I couldn't control the disappointment. And it was like I had been completely led astray, that I had been completely deceived by my dreams, A. And then, you know, my belief is that, you know, spirit speaks to us through dreams. Or like there's like this greater knowing that speaks to you through your dreams. So I was like, what can I trust now? Like, why did you do that to me? Why did you build me up for the last three years to just make me fall flat on my ass and question everything? And so I literally had like the hardest time for, it was almost like a week of just like, just, just fucking rolling around and just like the worst feelings ever of just feeling so betrayed, feeling like I couldn't trust my dreams anymore. That was like the hardest thing was that I couldn't, that I felt like I couldn't trust my dreams anymore. And about four or five days into this, I started realizing like, this might be a test for you. And you realize, you know, who, who are you to like, <laughs> just deserve to be launched into this incredibly blissful experience. Like uh, we might need to start looking at like what this is bringing up for you. And I, I had a, a book on my bookshelf for a couple of years up to that point, And it was all about Carl Jung. And I read a chapter in there that talked specifically about the shadow and it just explained all of the feelings that I was having and like it was so exaggerated the feelings that I had of being betrayed and all of the puke and just the nast inside of me that was just like so angry just so mad and it just made so much sense and I don't know I had just uh just such a revelation surrounding that and such like a it just, it really, eventually it, it offered me like a tenderness. It offered me like this, like, wow, like I can trust the dreams because they gave me exactly what I needed. I needed to go so high that the fall would be so hard 
that I would have to look at myself, that there would be no way I could squirm away because I, I tried so hard to squirm away to, to act like I was so entitled to not have to feel that awful and to feel that led astray. And holy cow, to finally like rein myself in and to force myself to look at that and how angry I was at God that I thought I had created this amazing experience of God in my life when I had my spiritual awakening. And then to see just how quickly and just how easily um, I could turn into just hating God and to blaming God and to just, just how quickly, like, so, it's just like thinking back on it now, it just seems so silly, but like, just to have a moment like that, that could press so many buttons within me and to be completely helpless to it, to just like spiral so hard was so awakening to me that, yeah, dude. You may have gotten to a pretty good place in your life, but there is so much underneath there that you still have not looked at or addressed. And if anything, like taking a blind eye to it and acted like you have these practices now that can alleviate you from having to deal with it. Like, no, 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 no. And yeah, so to, to get back to the dream of the tree, I'm glad that I remembered we were even circling back here. Um, when I had that moment, where everything crashed down. When I came back out of it, I all of a sudden realized that there is this blockage in my solar plexus. There's like, it just feels like a knot. Like there's something that's lodged there that doesn't allow as much energy to flow up through there as there should be. And when I look more at it, like the tree, why a tree? It, it, to me, that said it's something deeply rooted. It's something that that has its roots deeper than just me, that it's, it's something that um, is, is not necessarily something that is only what happened to me in this life, that it's something that is, you know, that has greater, <laughs> that has had more life than just me, that it's, it's rooted in something that um, I have no knowledge of. And, it's got to have something to do with, with the warrior energy. I feel like because of the man was so muscular and he, he, he felt like he was such a strong character, but he was, he was, he was, uh, so crippled by this wound. And it was like his energy was, was not allowed a healthy expression because there was this wound that was just piercing his soul. And there was just no way he could, he could get around that, that wound without just being in just incredible pain. And I mean, the, the fire to me was anger. That was like symbolic of anger and just the pain that comes out of, that comes out of, or the, I guess the anger that comes out of pain. And so for me, a lot of my shadow work has been looking behind the anger. What, what, what exists behind that anger? Because I mean, I have a short fuse, my father has a short fuse. From what I can gather, his father had a short fuse. Um, it seems like there, there's there's a big anger issue that surrounds whatever this generational wound is that um, it seems like the men in my life carry. Um, yeah, yeah. And it wouldn't surprise me if those men in your family had done things in their anger that 
maybe had caused a tragedy, maybe even been before your grandfather generations back, I would bet that something happened that created a tragedy and attracted this bad energy to congeal and carry down from generation to generation. But, I mean, we don't know that, but I, I wouldn't be surprised. I've seen this kind of thing before. And did you notice that once again in the dream state that you made a decision that had far-reaching implications? In the first dream, you decide that you're going to leave the party behind and walk out the door and you go off on this path and you... In, in, in this dream, you made this decision that you were going to quench the fire. You use your power, your magician energy and ability to wish or call down water into that space so that you could put out the flames and cool your own anger. And since the man represents something mm, deeper yes. than just you, you're actually bringing that energy to all of the other men who have been afflicted, men in your family who've been afflicted by that anger. Here's something maybe we're going to have to do an episode on the far reaching power of dreams. You know, people say, Oh, it's just yeah. a dream. It's just your imagination. And yeah, you know, a lot of times <laughs> dreams are just a, you know, it's, it's a drama going on in your head. But some dreams, maybe all of them at least have the potential to open a door, to be like a portal, to use the dream imagery, to reach out further than just yourself. And when you call the water in to quench the fire of that man, you probably created a ripple that extended all the way down your family line. I hope so. Well, when I went through this, uh, the initiation I went through a couple of years ago that, you know, pretty, pretty vividly about, I had a dream that kind of spoke to that. But I think uh, when we, when we get into that, we'll, we'll talk more. All about right. That, but it was a yeah. Little, a little teaser for yes. uh, a future episode. This is, yeah, man, this is fascinating. Here we are. We've been friends for years. First met um, at the IASD, International Association for Study of Dreams, Facebook page, where someone was calling Carl Jung a, a Nazi sympathizer. <laughs> and I come across yes. this discussion thread and I see you putting up the good fight, man, uh, countering this guy's negativity and uh, standing up for our hero, Carl Jung. And I, uh, I, I decide that I'm, I gotta, I gotta help out my brother here, man. <laughs> I didn't know you from anyone else in the world, but there it is. You know, it starts mm -hmm. on day where this conversation, uh, connection between us and, you know, that was about four years ago. And all this time we've, we've shared dreams and shared our lives and didn't know that we each have this origin story that got us into the deeper aspects of dreams and dream work because um, because there was something that was driving us to it. There was something compelling us. 
that there was, uh, yeah. you know, the promise of, uh, of, of great creativity and connection and, and love and a, a life of, of, uh, beauty connection with the people in our lives of through the heart with our loved ones. And then there was this other side of it that, you know, that you had to be kind of prodded into it by being given this stark choice between healing and pain and between continuing right. on a path that wasn't getting us anywhere or taking a chance and going off on this other path that, you know, it has no, you know, no guarantees and basically says, you got to take a stark, hard look at yourself. And yes, well, that's what we decided to do. And there was something that was um, affecting us, something generationally through our families. And it was there behind the scenes the whole time. You know, that whisper in the ear trying to get you to work against your own best interest. Yeah. And so now here we are today. We find out that our origin stories yeah. are similar in spine tingling ways. And my right ear just started ringing. Yep. Yep. Go figure. Yeah. I hear you. It's an obscure reference. I, uh, when spirit speaks to me, it makes my ear ring. I get that sensation sometimes. It kind of like comes in real soft and then it's right there for a few seconds and then it just fades back out. And I'm like, what is yeah, Does yeah. that just get downloaded or what? <laughs> yes, that's it, man. There's a, some yeah. new code being exactly. downloaded into the operating <laughs> system of the subconscious mind. Well, brother, it seems like it was meant to be. We have a lot of great podcasting coming up in the future. A lot of people that we can reach with this message and will benefit from it. They will, their lives can be shaped and changed by yes, their sir. dreams that there's real power in the dreams to do this for them. And they're going to get this message from us, this information. It's not Absolutely. found in any other place. That's why we're here, man. We got to demolish that myth that they mean nothing, dude. That's Yeah, that's... That's right. That's right. That was part of our mission. There are too many people who think that dreams are meaningless. And despite more than a century of clinical evidence from sleep science, neuroscience, psychology, and neuroscience, and counseling, spiritual traditions, the testimony of people in their everyday lives, that they're that dreams have much deeper significance and meaning than is commonly taught. And uh, just because that's what's commonly believed doesn't mean that we got to believe it. Yeah. So everybody listening, that's the whole thing. That's why we're here because, you know, I mean, you just heard how drastically dreams have reshaped the two of our lives. And there's so many stories of how people who allow the space for the dreams to show up and to speak to them and to move them and to challenge them and to reveal them to themselves. They just, it's just so amazing and they're so heartfelt and so beautiful. And that's, that's what we want. We want to offer you story after story after story to where you go. I have to, 
I have to see what this is all about for me because these sound amazing. And if people are really having these kind of transformative, just highly beautiful experiences that change everything for them, I want that. And that's what I want. I, that's my whole why for this whole podcast is to share that because I feel totally indebted to my dreams to light the torch and everybody who's willing, everybody who, who wants that and they don't even know that that's what they want. That's, yeah, man. Yeah. Oh, the living water. Do that. Here it is. <laughs> it makes you curious enough to go and find out for yourself what we can say based on our experiences. When you knock on the door, it will open. 